0: We open them to Romans 15, as the children can be dismissed to their classes and follow the gentleman out there and the lady over there. We'll be dealing this morning with verses 1 through 7 of Romans chapter 15 hear now the word of our God. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for the good to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through the perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have the hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ wherefore accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God let's pray together Father we do praise you and marvel at your grace that even though we were hostile to you even though we were pouring out reproaches upon you you sent your son to take those reproaches upon himself that you might welcome us into your presence, that you might accept us in his righteousness, into your presence in eternity. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you might teach us this morning, through your word, how to accept one another, how to welcome one another, as you have brought us into the body of Christ. We praise you, thank you, and marvel in his name. Paul has been dealing the last few chapters with the practical working out of what it means to be a Christian. And he's dealt very explicitly in the last couple of chapters, in 14 um, and here in 15, with how you actually work out the differences between brothers who are in the church. And remember that the church that Paul is writing to in Rome was made up of a couple of different kinds of Christians. One of those came from a Jewish background. They had been raised with the law. They had been raised with the sacrificial system. They had been raised to uh, understand that, the, that you had to obey the law as a Christian. You had to uh, keep the Sabbaths. You had to keep the holy days. Uh, you had to do this in order to be a good uh, believer in, Jeho- in Jehovah. The other kind of Christians were pagan Christians. They didn't know anything at all about the law. They didn't have anything at all to do with it. They didn't understand the holy days. Uh, All they knew was that you had to have a a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship, and that was sufficient. And so there were issues between these two groups. Uh, Some were offended if you ate meat that had been sacrificed to idols. That was... That was a terrible thing. Uh, some were offended if you didn't hold the, uh, the, the new moon or the, the particular Sabbath that was required in the law. And so Paul is dealing with the fact that, listen guys, you both are Christian. You both have a personal relationship with God and you both need to get over it and accept one another because God has accepted you. And he says in verse 1, "We who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. You must accept one another." The strong must accept the weak. Those people who thought they had to obey the law, those people who were afraid to eat meat because it might have been uh sacrificed to idols, those people who are afraid uh, to drink alcoholic beverages. He says the strong must accept the weak and bear their weaknesses. And notice that Paul includes himself among the strong. He says, we who are strong must accept the weaknesses of those without strength. So what Paul is saying is that the strong are not simply the Gentile Christians who are concerned about foods and feast days. They were the people who really understood what Scripture is teaching. And the word strong there is a a word, that uh, dunamis in the Greek, from which we get dynamite. It's power. And the word weak is adunamis, or no power. So Paul is saying there that the weak have no power or strength to do what needs to be done. They had their own scruples which caused them not to be able to live in Christian liberty. Therefore, the strong are those Christians who have the power or the strength because they understand the freedom that a relationship with Christ gives them. The strong sometimes think we know better. We've been there. We've made this path before. We've trekked this out. We know that our footsteps are fine And we know that people should follow along behind us. The weak should follow us. But you know, the problem is that sometimes we, the strong, forget that maybe the path is not that easy for the weak. And so we insist that they follow us to their destruction. And that's very tragic. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't cause your brother to stumble or fall down the storm drain. Realize what you're doing when you want them to follow you. The strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those that are without power. Ought implies a moral obligation. The word we translate ought means to be a debtor, to be under obligation, to be bound by duty. Ought means that there is a law which requires a particular behavior. We ought to drive no faster than the posted speed limit. We ought to stop it's stop signs and not do a California stop and roll through it. The moral obligation here is the law of love. Paul has been dealing with that. And he says because we're in the family, because we love one another, because God has given us his love, we need to reach out in love to those who are weak. Why should we bear the weaknesses of those without power? Because Christ is for our weaknesses. You and I did not have the power to do what is required for salvation. You know, there are a lot of people in the world who think I can be saved simply by doing what God commands me to do. D. James Kennedy, in a book called Truths That Transform, talks about the fact that the ungodly those who have not been saved by God are dead in their sins and trespasses. And he says if you took a dead body and you laid it out on a slab and you took a life-giving potion and put it down alongside of their head, what would happen? Absolutely nothing. That person could not turn their head and take of that life-giving potion. Someone has to pick up that vial and put it in their lips. God has to act to save those who are dead in their sins and trespasses. And Christ bore upon himself our sin, our weaknesses, because we couldn't do what was required for salvation. And Paul says we must not just simply please ourselves. We must regard others as more important than ourselves. That's a totally different message, folks, from what you get in the world today. The world says, I'm number one. The world says, your truth may be different than my truth. The world says, what's right for you may not be right for me. But as Christians, you and I must follow the example of Christ. He did not please Himself. Philippians 2 verses 3 through 8 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was in also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Christ was in heaven. He had all the glory of all of the creation at his feet, and he regarded you and I is more important than his situation in heaven. Douglas Moo in his commentary on these verses says, Occasionally abstaining from meat or wine or observing a special religious day should not seem like much of a burden in comparison with what Christ had to suffer for the sake of others. Have you ever come to the point in your life Where you were just overwhelmed. The world was falling down upon you. The sky was falling. Nobody loved you. Everybody had left you alone. And you were there in the depths of depression. I was there once. And God brought a vision to mind. Of Christ on the cross. Suffering for me. And the tears. First. Because you see, I know there are many people out there who are suffering today. I know there are people who are suffering physically. I know there are people who are suffering emotionally. I know there are people who are suffering psychologically. But there's no one of you who names the name of Christ who is even close to the suffering that Christ did for you. We don't want to get out of our comfort zone. We don't like to not do something we know is right if it offends someone else. But what these verses teach is that we need to reach out to others. We need to get out of our own personal comfort zone And we need to reach out to the weaker brother as Christ reached out to us. He took upon himself the reproaches that you and I hurled at God. Verse 3. You see, unbelief is a sin. Now, I wasn't overtly hostile to God before I became a Christian. I didn't curse God. I didn't make fun of God. But the very fact that I disregarded that there was a God, that there was a Creator, meant that I was hostile to Him. Every thought I had was not for God, it was for me. I was hurling reproaches and hostilities at God. And those were poured out upon Jesus Christ on the cross. All sin is against God. David, after his sin with Bathsheba when he was confronted by Nathan and almost a year later, he wrote Psalm 51. And in verses 1 through 4, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. If you sin against your neighbor, you sin against God. If you sin against your parents, you sin against God. If you sin against anything, you sin against Almighty God. And not accepting your weaker brother as God has accepted you is a sin against God. You must accept one another since you as a Christian have been accepted by God. Christ accepted you and I and gave His life for us. And Christ accepted you and I for the glory of God. God has accepted your brother, Romans 14.3. If God has accepted someone, if God has accepted you and I in spite of our deficiencies and our hostilities and our reproaches, how in the world is it that you and I cannot accept someone whom God has accepted? You must please your neighbor. But Scripture is not teaching here that we must be pleasant and we must please our neighbor just to be pleasant or to eliminate controversy. There are a lot of people in the Christian world today who believe that we just got to get along. That's not what Scripture teaches. What we need to look at is first we need to understand Who's the neighbor here? In this passage, the context indicates the neighbor is one who is in the church. Paul is speaking with the weaker and the stronger in the church. Scripture does not teach us that we need to be pleasing to everyone. Even the behavior of Christ himself did not please everyone. In Galatians 8.10, it says, But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be a curse, let him be anathema, let him be condemned to hell as we said before so I say again now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, let him be anathema for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God or am I striving to please men if I were still trying to please men I would not be a bondservant of Christ Paul called himself a doulos a bondslave someone who was committed to doing The will of his master, to the exclusion of everything else. Paul did not teach that we are to please everyone. Paul is teaching in in those verses that in matters concerning the proclamation of the gospel, there must be no compromise. We must not change the gospel to please anyone. There are lots of churches in America today where the pastor won't preach on certain passages. I've been in churches where a pastor told me that I have homosexuals in my congregation, therefore I'm not going to preach on homosexuality. Pleasing men. rather than God. In Ephesians 6, verses 5 and 7, 5 through 7, it says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ, not by way of eye service, as men please, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, render service as to the Lord, not to men. I spent 20 years of my life in the Navy Submarine Force learning that when someone superior to me said, Crenshaw do this, I went and did it. I've used this illustration over and over again and forgive me if you've heard it before, but on a, on a modern nuclear submarine, the ones I was on, if, if the control services uh, uh, that control the angle of the ship failed on full dive so that the ship started nosing over Uh, you had something like four seconds to recognize that you had a casualty and you had something like fourteen seconds to initiate emergency action or the ship would drive down under certain conditions would drive down below crush death. And so you trained over and over and over and over and over and over again. And when the diving officer said, do this, do that, do the other, everybody did it without question because not to do so had tragic consequences. And you and I are in the army now, folks. We were studying in Sunday school this morning that we are the army of God. He is uh, uh, Yahweh Sabaoth. That word Sabaoth that we sang means hosts or army. We are the army of God. And you and I need to do what God commands us to do. In matters of service to others our deeds must not be done simply to please other men but to please God. To please unbelievers in every case would be to displease God. You must please your neighbor in the church for being good. The American Stanley doesn't have the the article "the" in there. I don't know whether your Bibles do or not, but the Greek is very, very clear. For the good. That means a particular good. What did Paul mean when he says we must please our neighbor for the good? Remember that the context of the passage is how to live in love with those in the church. What is being caught here is that we must please our neighbor in the church so that our witness to unbelievers is a witness of love. You've heard it said over and over again by unbelievers that Christians are the only army in the world that shoot their wounded. Like the song, they will know we are Christians by our love for one another and other men. You must please your neighbor in the church To edification. This means that we're not simply to please our neighbor to make him feel good or to keep from making him feel bad. That's a tragedy in the church because, as I said a couple of weeks ago, the weaker brother is the biggest bully in the church. We oftentimes don't do things because we're afraid of offending others. But you see, that's not what Scripture teaches. What Scripture teaches is that we are to please our neighbor to edification. What does that mean? We must take the opportunity to edify, to build up our brother or sister. We must use the opportunity to teach them what Scripture says about the situation in which they are weak. Maybe you have a, a Christian brother or sister that believes, I should drink wine. Ask them, why do you believe that? Have them show you in Scripture. And then take them back to Scripture in Deuteronomy where God commands Israel to drink wine and strong drink. In the worship service, by the way, Teach one another. If there's a difference of opinion, if there's a difference of opinion about what this scripture says, don't go off and split and, and, and plant another church. Christians are like amoebas, you know, they, they multiply by dividing. Instead, say, okay, let's get together and see what does scripture really say? What does God's word say about this? Edification is a word which means solid or solid. Concrete, like a building. Therefore, we are to use the opportunity to build up our neighbor. After all, we are all stones, are we not? In the temple of God. We are to make them solid in their faith. Leon Morris says, pleasing our neighbor does not mean that we are never to do anything that we want to do but that we are never to do what pleases us regardless of its effects on others. Consideration for the weaker Christians takes precedence over what we ourselves would like to do. If you're in a situation and you know that your brother doesn't drink, don't say, oh, come have a drink. Let's sit down and talk about this. Let's learn together what God's Word says. Morris goes on to say a genuine concern for the weak will mean an attempt to make them strong by leading them out of their irrational scruples irrational scruples so that they too will be strong don't look down on them don't judge them if you're the weaker brother don't judge the strong work together what is God teaching us third point, you cannot accept one another or bear the burdens of the weak or please one another without Jesus Christ. It is God alone who gives perseverance, patience, and encouragement. Verse 5 is literally, now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded toward one another According to Christ Jesus, it is God alone who is the source of the patience. The word we translate perseverance or patience is patient waiting or cheerful or hopeful endurance. And our culture is a culture with almost no patience or endurance. You see it in the stores. I was in Toys R Us years ago, just before Christmas. And this poor mom had this, he must have been five or six year old, tagging along. And he is literally screaming at the top of his voice, but I want it. And she's saying, no, we don't have the money, but I want it. He didn't care. He was pitching a hissy fit in the middle of the store, and she was trying to calm him down, but he wanted it. Read somewhere recently. I don't even remember the figures exactly. They said that the average American has something like eighty-five hundred dollars in credit card debt. The average. We want it now. We want to put it on the plastic so we can have it now. We'll pay for it later. especially in America, we want everything now. You see it on the highway. You see it in the stores. You see it everywhere. But it is God alone who is the source of the patience. It is God alone who is the source of the consolation or endurance. The word we translate encouragement or consolation is the Greek word paraklesis. It comes from the Greek word paraclete from which we get the comforter, the Holy Spirit, that one that Jesus says, I will send you another comforter when I go away. The word was paraclete. The word literally means one who comes alongside. It means to comfort or encourage or exhort or counsel. You cannot be truly encouraged or comforted without God in your life. Look around at the world today, particularly in America. It's amazing to me the, the number of commercials on television that promote drugs. you got to have this drug. You've got to have that drug. You've got to have the other drug. Be comforted. The reality is you've got to have Jesus Christ. Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit, to be comforted. You don't need drugs. You cannot truly be comforted or encouraged. You cannot truly uh, comfort or encourage anyone else unless you have God in your life. Because if you're trying to tell them how to be encouraged or comforted, you're telling them the wrong thing if you're not telling them about Christ. You cannot truly counsel anyone else unless you are counseling them from the word of God. Before I became a Christian, I wanted to be a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, undergraduate degree of psychology. I became a Christian, I realized psychological counseling doesn't work. Empirically, they found that People get better simply by talking to other people than they do by going and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars talking to a counselor. A non-Christian counselor. But if you can counsel them from the Word of God, you can truly give them comfort and counsel. God grants you patience and encouragement through the Scriptures Verse 4 is literally, whatever things were written before were written for our learning that through the patience and through the comfort of the scriptures, we might have the hope. Note that the scriptures Paul is referring to here are the Old Testament writings. They were in the process of writing the New Testament, you see. So when he says the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And how tragic it is that so many people in the Christian world today don't even read the Old Testament. They think it's irrelevant. And yet it was written for our instruction that we might have the hope. The word that we translate instruction means learning, or teaching, or Doctrine. A lot of people in the Christian world today say, doctrine divides. No, it doesn't. Doctrine unites. That's how we have unity in the gospel. When we understand that the Bible is the good news, the Bible is the instruction manual. I don't know how many people I have talked to over the years of being a Christian who says, I don't know how to live my life. I don't know what, I don't know the decisions to make. You, you have an instruction manual. To read it. This is probably the wrong audience to mention this to, but if, if, if you were going, if you have a new computer and you're trying to set it up, what's the first thing you ought to do? Pick up the instruction manual, right? If you just simply try to start turning on pushing buttons, likelihood is you're going to really mess it up. Except in this audience, maybe, but most of you are pretty good the literature. But the point is, you don't try to do something that's outside your, your realm of expertise without reading the book. It's only through the agency of the Old Testament Scriptures and the New that we gain patience and comfort that purpose word we might have the hope, the only true hope, the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's only through the instruction of God's word that he grants patient endurance and comfort and hope. The certainty that because of what Christ did, you and I can spend an eternity in heaven. God grants us patience and comfort through his written word which is about Jesus Christ. Leon Morris says in his commentary on these verses, Paul is not exhorting believers to pull themselves together and manifest these qualities, but to rejoice in God who gives them. I was raised, my father taught me from the time I could remember, I could do anything I wanted and put my mind to it my Father lied to me. Because you can't. You may live a long time and do exceptionally well. I did. But I got to a point where I didn't have control over the circumstances and I realized that. And as a Christian, I understand it is God who gives us comfort and patience and hope. You must accept one another as Christ accepted you to the glory of God. Question one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Douglas Moo in his commentary says, the vision in the church Over non essentials, diverts precious time and energy from its basic mission the proclamation of the gospel and the glorifying of God. You and I must get over the unimportant things that divide us. We are the army of God. When you're in the military, you may be sleeping next to a guy that you hate. You may be showering with a guy who's a real turkey. You may be eating a meal with a guy you just as soon they shot out a torpedo tube. But when push comes to shove, you're working together for the purpose of keeping that ship in fighting and defeating the enemy. You and I are members of the army of God. And it's really crazy, folks, for us to be fighting one another and not doing what God has commanded us to do, which is go out and defeat Satan. Jesus Christ accepted you and I into His service in the army of God to the glory of God Verse 7, therefore, you and I must accept one another as Christ accepted us to the glory of God. If you're strong, don't think that just because you think it's the right way, you must have the weak follow you. If you're weak, don't just blindly follow the strong you saw in the little slides, the consequences can be disastrous. Accept one another. Work together. Concentrate on the important things. Presenting a united, loving front to the world. Reach out to those who don't know Try and be recruiters, recruiting them into the army of God. Let's pray.